you're after something. Is it revenge? Money? Or is it something else? You look good. A little rough around the edges, but good. Heard about a job. Big shot gangster putting together crew. I'm a driver. And I'm a flyer. I waited a long time for a shot like this. What do you think? Well, what do you know? You got a line on a ship? Yeah, I know a guy. He's the best smuggler around. I heard a story about you. I was wondering if it's true. Everything you've heard about me is true. <laughs> L3! Let's go with a mean man's face. Who are these guys? If you come with us, you're in this life for good. You might want to buckle up, baby. Some advice. We assume everyone will betray you, and you will never be disappointed. I got a really good feeling about this. Since when do you know how to fly? 190 years old? You look great. Push it. Hello and welcome back to Joygasm, where we chat about video games, movies, and of course, pop culture. I'm Russ, Xbox Live Toaster 360, and with me back in the studio is Sensational Steve, Xbox Live Steveovich, as we smuggle episode 75 on this June 9th, 2018. Today's episode is dedicated to reviewing Solo, a Star Wars story. Initially, we'll provide, of course, our high-level impressions before stepping into the spoiler elevator and drilling down into our analysis of the film. But of course, first things first. Steve, how are you? Ah, well, I got a belly full of pizza, Russ. Pizza and water. No beer. You can't go wrong with pizza. <laughs> it's always a good day. You can have the worst day in the world, and if you have pizza, eh... It's not so bad all of a sudden. Hmm. What I, did you have? Did you have pepperoni? Did you have Hawaiian? Did you have uh, both? A little of both, Russ. It did have cheese, though. I mean, you know, some cheese. Ah. Some thin slices of meat. Perhaps a little sauce. A little seasoning. Yeah. Yeah. Just kind of like what every standard pizza yeah. comes with. A little, uh, little smothering of cardboard. But was it made with love? <laughs> no. We'll never know. We'll never know what exactly it was made with, Russ. <laughs> That's part of the surprise. <laughs> That's part of the mystique. <sighs> Dinner in a box. It's good to have you back in here, Steve. I know the last couple of episodes I was interviewing Jesse Snyder, and <clears throat> it was actually uh, uh, just a treat to be able to chat with him, but you were missed, so it's, it's good to see you. Thank you, Russ. Mm. It's good to see you, too. Mm. Let's cross the table and give you a love smack. Yeah. I love those little <laughs> love taps. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
So what's going on in your world? <laughs> nothing, Russ. Absolutely nothing. Well, says. let's see. Uh, I did. I've uh, been playing a lot of Sea of Thieves, and I, I'm, I'm waiting for some some bigger, better patches to come through. They've had some minor updates. I'm looking for a big one, Russ. I'm looking, yeah. I'm looking for a, a big update. A know? big update. Yeah. Are they supposed to be having a, a new update be dropping here this month or June? They better. Yeah. They better. Hmm. I'm getting a little, getting a little tired of uh, being the pirate errand boy, you know. I was going to say same chests, same islands, same winds. Have know? you been saving your money, or are you just buying anything that tickles your fancy? Well, that's the thing. I was just buying stuff, but now there's there's not a whole lot of stuff to buy anymore. I'm like, yeah, I don't really want that. I don't really. So I just been saving. I got about two hundred thousand almost. No. Yeah. 200,000 is, that's pretty good. I think the last time I checked, I think I was around 280,000, mm-hmm. somewhere around there. I'm closing in on 300,000. I was buying some things here and there, but I decided to hold off and just wait for the the big kind of DLC drop to see what else is out there. But I got to tell you, all that gold is starting to burn a hole in my pocket. My trouser. This dude that I've been playing with online has uh, 1.4 mil. That's a lot of gold. It is. He must be playing that game nonstop. Often, yes. <laughs> Often is a little <laughs> bit of a understatement. <laughs> Often, my goodness. Yeah. 1.4, you said? 1.4 and climbing. He has to be playing that game like 14 hours a day. Well, let's put it this way. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what he does in his off time, but apparently it's all CFDs. He... um. He was playing. I got on one night. He's, you know, the dude from England. Mm-hmm. Completely different time zone. So I'm going to bed. He's getting up. That's cool that you keep playing with him. Yeah. And have you told him about the show? No, I have not. I think it's high time you did, especially <laughs> considering the fact that we're talking about him uh, several times <laughs> yeah. now. You, you might be tickled pink. High time or high tide. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, so. He got on. I was like 1.30 in the morning, so I'm like, I'm going to bed. Sorry. So I went to bed, got up the next day, did a couple things, and so it was late morning my time, and I thought, yeah, I'll turn on some uh, YouTube, play one, a couple of videos or whatever. Uh-huh. And he was still on, thinking, man, it's been quite a while. I thought, well, I still got stuff in my day to do, so I'll come back. I, I did this my stuff. Actually, it was the day we went to see uh, Solo. Uh-huh. So then I came back. And uh, I just checked online, and uh, he was still playing. I'm like, dude, is it late over there? And he, and he sounded exhausted. I don't know how much time he had been playing. He sounded so busy. He's like, well, it's not mega late, but it is uh, getting there. I'm like, okay. So we played for like a half hour. He goes, mate, uh, I've got to go. I've got to go. <laughs> I, take the rest of the quest. I've got to go. <laughs> I didn't even ask what time it was, but... He must have gotten some sort of like virtual sunburn or something Man. being out in the sun for that long. Yeah. And he was working on a legendary quest by himself. What level is he? He's like between 40 and 50. And jeez, um, I, I just got, I, I couldn't do it. All. I mean, it was the afternoon and, the, and there was the, all these quests. I thought, no, nah, I, I can't. Sorry. I got yeah. to put it away. I got other stuff I have to do today. Yeah. Like take a nap, <laughs> dude. I hear that, man. I, I, naps are just—that's what the body needs when you're our age, especially when it's a three-hour nap. Actually, I mean, even not even our age. I mean, naps are good no matter what age you are. Rose. But I feel like 
when you approach your thirties, you start to really appreciate having the time to take a nap. I know like when you're younger, you just have all this boundless energy and you're just wanting to, to take on the world and everything else. And especially even if you're even younger than that in your teens, I mean, it's, you're just going a hundred miles an hour, but in your thirties, it's like, ah, true. But that recliner looks pretty inviting right now. Typically I can't take naps even though I want them so bad because somehow something in the world clicks and everyone decides, Oh, well, let's call Steve. Let's text Steve. Let's see what's going on. It's because on. you're loved. Yeah. Got People whole, like you. The whole rest of the day to contact me, and I think, I'm just going to lay my head down and get a little, just a catnap, a little shut-eye. And no one's been contacting me, so that means they're not going to contact me. And I <laughs> pass out, and then five minutes in, <sighs> You should put your phone on Do Not Disturb. I don't think it'll vibrate. I always think I'm going to miss something like, uh, someone's going to give me uh, some 911. Someone's going to give me a million dollars. No, somebody, you know, I'm going to miss like this 911 text or something. I'd be passed out. And, uh, (laughs) Steve, Steve, you've been kidnapped. I do. I, maybe (laughs) there's a story I have to tell you. Uh, maybe this is not the the show to tell it, but there was a story that I unintentionally flaked on a buddy of mine because of a nap. Maybe I'll tell it to you sometime. Mm. Is it memorable? uh, Yes, it is. Is it filled with, all kinds of unforgettable moments. One unforgettable moment, yes. Mm. <laughs> well, huh. why don't you just tell us? Oh, okay. Well, I'll tell it. So, um, I was I had graduated high school. I was going to the JC, and uh, a buddy of mine was uh, going to go to the uh, University of Hawaii, and so his time was limited here. So I was like, "Dude, you, we've got to hang out before you go. We got to hang out." He goes, "Yeah." He said, I said, just let me know. I'll, I'll make time, whatever you need. He goes, okay. And then with the midst of uh, him packing and, and me going back and forth to school, I, I didn't want to bug him because his time, you know, he was was uh, more valuable. Uh, more valuable Precious. than mine, yeah. In so short supply. I'm like, okay, just contact me. I'll be home, whatever. He goes, okay. So I go home and upstairs, we had the, the, the love seat, right? Mm-hmm. I used to curl up and just take a nap, right? So I pass out. Like I'm, a smoke dog. Yeah. I go to sleep. And the phone starts ringing. And I'm trying to like break an eye open from while I was asleep. You know, accumulating in my eye. And I'm like, and I remember looking at it. And I'm like trying to like, I hold it really close to my face because it's all blurry. You know, I'm trying to see the number. And I can't see it. And I'm, I'm trying to like answer it. And I'm like, anybody there? And like, no one's there. I'm like, who keeps on calling me? So I just hang up the phone. Put it away. Well, my, I never, my, my friend never called me. So I'm like, whatever. So the, like a year goes by and, and he comes back into town. Hey, you know, I'm back. Let's hang out. I'm like, okay. We, we have a great time and we go out back and we're, we're like sipping on something. And, and I said, you know what, buddy? I got a bone to pick with you. You know, I was, I was looking forward to you know, hanging out with you one more time before you left. He goes, oh, really? He says, yeah, keep going. Keep going. So I, I spill it all. And he goes, yeah, let me tell you my half. He goes, I finished packing and I said no to other people that I was going to supposed to hang out with. And I called you and I called you again. I'm like, okay. And I'm like, I don't remember those calls. They go through. And he says, yeah. I go, oh, well, what did I say? He said, you picked up and you're breathing heavy and going. (laughs) 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 My, my. (laughs) Well, thank you for that story, Steve. Indeed. 
What else is going on with you? Well, let's see. Um, well, since I haven't been here, uh, I watched a couple movies. Oh! I watched uh, The Help. I've seen that movie. That's a good movie. Yeah, not bad. And uh, I had a little issue with Netflix because they sent me two of the uh, of the of these crappy Blu-ray discs that kept on artifacting and glitching on the... Uh, oh, that's a bummer. So I got up to... You know, I think they should send me some more discs, but I finally got through it. And I watched uh, 21 Strong. 21 Strong. Uh, name sounds vaguely familiar. That's that uh, army movie or around 9-11 time that... Uh, Chris Hemsworth? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, I never saw that in the theater. It looked like it was pretty... It's like when they're on horseback, right? Yeah. 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 I, I saw the trailer for it and I was interested in seeing it, but I just never got around to doing it. It's not bad. And I will tell you, Steve, that now that I have been corrected. And actually, I'm glad I'm, I'm saying this because I can m- correct this for all of you listeners out there as well, that MoviePass actually does work <laughs> at Cinemark Theaters. Okay. For the longest time, I was under the impression that Cinemark had a competitive app, which they do. They do have a competitive app against MoviePass. And I thought I had read in there that they had blocked MoviePass from actually working at their theaters. However... I spoke to a friend of mine who is also a fellow movie pass holder, mm-hmm. and he said, "No, actually, they will still work just because Movie Pass has been able to accumulate over two million subscribers, and so it wouldn't be good business for Cinemark to turn those customers away from their theater." So I just all of a sudden got very excited since that's kind of like our local theater and. Mm. It's uh, definitely nice because I will be going to see many more movies that I probably wouldn't see in the theater. I'd probably wait for Netflix, but because I only paid $10 a month, I could see every movie in the theater during that month. <laughs> what other movies did you watch? Or is that it? That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. Have you played any other games outside of Sea of Thieves? I have not. Okay, fair enough. I have not. Well, on my side of things, I know you're dying to know. <laughs> uh, over the last couple of weeks, I've been having uh, just a nice time uh, just working on the, uh, the the podcast episodes that we had of, of Jesse Snyder. In fact, if those of you out there missed the previous two episodes, I highly recommend you go and check them out just because Jesse Snyder... Um, he was the gameplay director on Call of Duty. And so we, at great length, went into detail over how he got started with the very first Call of Duty oh, and yeah. worked on just about every other Call of Duty since then. He was the brainchild of the Call of Duty Zombies feature. Zombies. And he also worked on Halo 4 and talks about what he did before he went into the gaming industry. He also talks about what it takes to be a game designer. I mean, there's just a lot of just pure gold during those two uh, episodes that we that went through. So Sounds action-packed, Russ. It is very, very nice. It's a very nice listen. You know, it, there's a lot of information, and, and I'm, uh, I'm grateful that he was able to dedicate a few hours of his time away from his family to Indeed. talk to, uh, to this handsome fellow. So... Other than that, I was playing a bit more Rayman Legends. My daughter still just absolutely loves watching Daddy play that. I saw you posted a video on uh, Ubo, the Tubo. Did you actually watch the video? No, I did. 
No, I just saw that you posted. I go, I have school. Well, Screw that. I'm just, I'm just making sure. Sometimes you'll just glance at something, but you won't actually play it. So I figured yeah, I'd make sure. It. I played it from start to finish. I love those levels where it's based around a song and all the movements that you're doing is in timing with the song. It's it's so gratifying. It's right up your uh, hallway there, Rose. It, it really is. <laughs> and it was pretty cool, too, because it took me like 10 tries to do it without dying. Because normally, you know, I'd do it and I'd fall down a pit or whatever it is, and then it would start me at a checkpoint. I'm thinking, no, no. I want to see if I can get through this in one fell swoop. And I did, and I said, hey, Cortana, record that. Did your daughter uh, say what happened and you had to explain life and death to her? No. Oh, okay. We're not going to have that conversation for a while. <laughs> I'd like to maintain her innocence. Yeah, daddy fell down a bottomless pit and onto some spikes and then drowned to death. <laughs> daddy got skewered and impaled on spikes before drowning. And I'll, I'll let you know about that. <laughs> but in the meantime, he was running along caterpillars playing a mariachi band. Yeah. She loves Rayman, though. She loves, especially those, those song ones. Actually, I have another one that I have recorded onto the OneDrive. I need to actually plop it up on YouTube. It's another Rayman episode where it's a different song and just as fun. It's really just a real fun game. And of course, I'm still making my way through God of War. I know I'm on the end game part. And of course, you were watching me play this a little bit this evening and how I'm at a bit, a bit blocked at this point. So, but I will survive. I will overcome. You will succeed. I will adapt. <clears throat> so Adapt, improvise, overcome. Absolutely. Let's segue over to our high-level thoughts of Solo, a Star Wars story. Let's start with you, Steve. And stop molesting your mic. I got some stuff on my microphone. I don't know what it is. Well, you're the only one who uses it, so it's probably <laughs> Essence of Steve. <laughs> <sighs> A little crusty, uh, dried up, yeah, flaky saliva, like perhaps? That. Yeah, you know, I spat a lot. <laughs> When I speak, I don't know what it is. <laughs> you do tend to remind me of an English bulldog when you speak, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, you asked me what I thought of it, Russ. High-level thoughts, yes. Mm. I thought it was exceedingly average. Okay. Yeah. Um, I kind I went into the theater thinking that uh, I don't know what I was really thinking. I just thought, well. <laughs> It's a solo movie. I hope it's better than The Last Jedi. Mm -hmm. Pretty much anything is going to be better than that one. I would hope. Um, but, uh, I, yeah, it was just just kind of average. I watched it and was mildly entertained. And by the time it was over, I was like, all right, well, I'm out of here. Okay. What about you? That's all you have to say for your <laughs> high-level thoughts? Yeah, that's basically it. I mean, there it, there, was, there wasn't much to remember about it. I didn't think the script was very memorable. Uh, I thought that the uh, the actor who played Han Solo, he looked like Harrison Ford a little bit with his smirks and his smiles, but beyond that, he was way too smiley, not sarcastic enough, not scoundrelly enough. Um, <clears throat> I thought, uh, what is it, Donald uh, Glover, what mm -hmm. is that was his name is? In the beginning, he, he, he was he really had the essence of uh, Lando, but then throughout the rest of the movie, I thought he lost it. And I, I don't know. I did, There wasn't much magic there that kept my, uh, my attention and there wasn't much for me to remember it by. All right. Fair enough. I thought the movie was fun. 
I thought that it it definitely was not on the same level as like the original Star Wars trilogy. And of course, I think I don't ever think they're going to be able to recapture what George Lucas did originally with the A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. That's just going to be on an, on a mantle all of its own. But having said that, though, um, I like I said, I, I thought it was a fun movie. I thought that there were several actors in there that I thought did a, 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 just a nice job. I think that um, Alden, who played Han Solo, I actually thought, you know, it's it's interesting. Um, I don't, you know, I, I went into the movie really being concerned about the actor who was portraying Han Solo just because Harrison Ford is Han Solo, just like Harrison Ford is Indiana Jones. I mean, he, he just, he played those roles and owned those roles just so well that it's just impossible to have someone else be able to come in and be exactly like how Harrison Ford was. But what's interesting is that as I was watching the movie, I found myself believing in Alden portraying Han Solo. Like I, I just found myself going, okay, you know what? Like, I've come to grips or to terms with the fact that he's not Harrison Ford. And if it was Harrison Ford, it, you know, when he was younger, that would be the perfect case scenario. But rea the reality is that's just not going to happen. And so there was a lot there. I, I do agree with you that I think there was a little too much smiling with that. And again, we can go into the details when we get into more of the spoiler area. But at the same time, I do think that because this is a younger version of Han Solo, he's not as jaded as, as we saw in A New Hope or Empire. There's a lot more like of these events that have transpired or will transpire in the movie that will ultimately shape kind of his persona moving forward from there. We can, like I said, talk more about that later. But a lot of the other actors I thought um, also did a nice job and... The music, of course, I thought the music was really well done. It was not composed by John Williams. It was done uh, by someone else, but he really, you could tell, he took to great lengths to try to maintain that John Williams sound, which is, you know, that, that's saying something. It's more than what they did for Last Jedi. You know, when I think of the, of the music for The Last Jedi, there really wasn't anything that was memorable from that. Versus this one where I was like, you know, I could see him making those types of decisions with the music. It actually worked out well. And I think I, I even commented to you in the, the theater that I, I really did enjoy the music of that. But, yeah. I mean, look-wise, I, mean, I, I thought it looked great, too, and everything else. But I just I feel like if I, if I divulge too much, then we'll go into spoiler territory. Well, <clears throat> spoilers are when you tell things that will happen in the movie. You could you could say stuff about the movie, Russ, without saying this is what happened. For high level and thoughts. I'm trying. You know, I, I hope I'm doing a good job of being able to paint a bit of a picture here on, on my side of things. But why don't we step into the spoiler elevator real quick and uh, be able to get to that floor that is so familiar to the two of us. And if you don't mind, I'm going to smuggle in some spices and <clears throat> thermal detonators. <laughs> Silicon carbide. <laughs> Whatever that stuff's called out, you know. I'm going to hide some of this inside your jacket. 
Hide it in my hoodie. <laughs> I would say hide it in your stormtrooper helmet. <laughs> yeah. This isn't going to work. Why didn't you say so before? I did say so before. You're looking at me with a blank stare. I was uh, waiting to make the steam sound effect. <laughs> That uh, <laughs> of the, the, the doors that they make, the sound that the doors make when they open. <laughs> uh, anyway, where are you taking this thing? Do you remember what the, what the next line is? Nah, I forgot. Didn't you block? THX one one three eight. I wasn't notified. I'll have to clear it. Without the headphone hitting the mic. Mm -hmm. <laughs> We're in the spoiler territory now. <clears throat> I, I was, and that, from that scene, all I remember was uh, Han going, Okay, yeah, fine. We're fine. Everything is fine. Oh, yeah. How are you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that whole scene. Oh, man. See, Harrison Ford did a lot of improv when he was doing uh, Han Solo. Yes. And you can't take an actor and go, okay, act like that actor did while he was improving. It's just not going to happen. Well, okay, so, so now we're in the spoiler territory. Mm -hmm. Let's focus a bit on Alden, who played as Han Solo in Solo. <laughs> Solo. <laughs> so I thought that he did, like, like okay, look-wise, I felt like he was pretty close to how Harrison Ford looked. Because if you think about it, Harrison Ford, I believe his character, Han Solo, was supposed to be roughly about 29 years old in A New Hope. Versus in Solo, he was supposed to be, I believe, probably around 19 years old. And taller. Oh, wait. Well, I'm not. <laughs> He's pretty short in the movie. I, 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 like, Woody Harrelson was looking down on like the Well, Woody time. Harrelson's a tall dude. Yeah, I know that. Okay, well, yeah, I just don't be too critical about that, Steve. <laughs> anyway, I felt like he looked like a nice young Han Solo. Um, I did like a lot of his expressions and, and swagger or not, but I think that you brought up a good point, which is just, again, going back to Harrison Ford, Harrison Ford has just a certain type of saucy swagger about him. He has the kind of... Um, uh, scoundrel type of he wasn't even scoundrelly in this movie. Like, what? ooh, he's gambling, <gasps> scoundrel. <laughs> well, but again, <laughs> I think it has to do with the fact too. That this is a younger Han Solo. Yeah, I know, but this is his origin story, right? So because it's an origin story, like think think about it. When you're younger, you're more impressionable, right? No. Yes, you are. <laughs> And you have, you know, you don't have all the life experiences under your belt that you do today. And based off of the various life experiences you've had, it has inadvertently shaped your outlook on life. I'm as it not very lighthearted. I am still a, a very pure person, Russ. I I <laughs> am, I have a heart of being nine years old and and joyful, loving the world. Uh huh. <clears throat> now, I mean, yes, I I, I have growing my beard and have a couple gray hairs. 
But I, I, I'm not going to say I'm jaded. You are so <laughs> jaded. <laughs> uh, but like even I use myself as, as an example. Like I was much more of a romantic when I was younger versus how I am today. Like I am much romance. more. I've known you all your life, son. I am much more of a realist today. Like don't get me wrong. I still have a bit of that kind of like romanticized side of me where like I look at things and I have the glasses half full, all that. I totally own up to that. But it has been tempered. Compared to like, like if I compared myself when I was 19 versus today where I'm 39, I mean, like, like there is a certain amount of life experience that has transpired that has caused me to look at things a bit differently. You know, it hasn't changed my personality or anything, but you know, it's, it's caused a little maturity, a little bit of growth. Mm. So I think that in this movie, I think that I, for one, liked seeing, a, a bit more of the innocent side to Han Solo. Like an innocent is probably not exactly the right word, but it's the, the closest I can think of to what I'm trying to describe, which is just, I didn't want to see a Han Solo that was exactly like the Han Solo that we saw in four five and six. I wanted to see what were the driving factors that caused him to have the types of, vantage points or perspectives on life. Like, like in episode four, when he's talking to Luke and, and Luke is trying to convince him to join up when they're going against the death star, you know, and he says, you know, going up and something like that ain't some sort of some sort of heroic action. It's more like suicide, you know, and he's just there for the money and everything else. Um, I liked, and also too, how he, you know, one of the things that he saw in Luke was Luke's innocence. And that's what one of the driving forces that ultimately changed his mind so that he would watch out for Luke, not only in episode four, but in, um, you know, episode five and so forth, that sort of thing. So it's, it's interesting, very interesting to see that, but apparently he wasn't sarcastic enough for you. No, he wasn't. No. Mm -hmm. And to be quite honest, it it was very predictable. I mean, going into the movie, you know he's going to survive because he's in episode four. So he's, nothing bad's going to happen. He's going to survive. The Millennium Falcon's going to survive. Lando Carrizian's going to survive. Um, but did, but you had to have been curious as to like what kind of adventures they went on when oh, they were younger. Of course, I was. I was. Yeah. I mean, that's driving force of me going into the movie. But. Yeah. Uh, to me, it did, it just wasn't enough. I mean, the Kessel Run—that's my one of Han Solo's main main lines. Oh, made a Kessel Run in less than twelve parsecs. Uh -huh. Okay, well, let's okay, let's show us the Kessel Run. And then he just kind of found a shortcut and put some nitrous in the old, you know, afterburners and got out of there, and that was it. It wasn't like I don't know. It just didn't do anything. Okay, you got out. Okay. Did anybody time it? Like, how close was it to 11 parsecs? Or, or you know, it just, he did it, and then he looked at somebody and said, hey, I did it in 12 parsecs, and the person walks away like it was an afterthought. I thought, well, you showed it like it was an afterthought, and now you're <laughs> talking about it like it's an afterthought. I thought that was one of the main driving points, man. It just, I don't know, it just kind of fell flat. Well, you're, you're starting to get a little into the plot. You're getting ahead of us here. We're talking about the cast here, Steve. Well, I'm talking about everything, right? <clears throat> you're just all over the map, Steve. I'm going to guide you back home. <clears throat> what did you think of Emilia Clark's performance? She was fine. Uh, but again, not, nothing memorable. Okay. 
I actually really liked, um, I thought she was actually terrific in the film. I, I really liked the chemistry between her and Alden. Um, I, yeah, I mean, I, I was curious to see how that chemistry was going to work out, but it, it turned out to be very believable. They just had this, this love interest with each other. I liked how that was kind of a, a serving vehicle for them in terms of when they were, um, initially established in the film and then they lost track with each other and they came back toward each other again. And I thought that, that her, her look and also just the way that she portrayed the character was actually just a nice compliment to the, the overall cast of characters that we mm -hmm. saw. Now, you know, Junus, I hope I'm saying his, um, his name correctly is Junus Suotamo, Suotamo, something like that. He played Chewbacca. I thought that um, he did a really nice job playing Chewie. Like he had a lot of the nuances and the body movements that Peter Mayhew is famous for as playing Chewbacca. What'd you think? I thought actually Chewbacca was one of the saving graces of the film. Um, and I thought he, yeah, he did a decent job. He was actually a tad bit more expressive than, than I expected. Mm -hmm. um, mostly with his, uh, you know, nonverbal, communication. Mm -hmm. I, I forgot. I, there's a line in the movie. I forgot what it was. <laughs> it was so forgettable. Anyway, but uh, <laughs> there, there was uh, Chewie, he, Chewie did something where he kind of like sh like uh, shrugged his shoulders. Not shrugged like, I don't know, kind of style. Slumped? Like maybe slumped. And I kind of like sank him down and like looked away like, what? okay, fine. We'll do it your way sort of thing. I thought, wow, all right. You know, Chewie's always kind of a, uh -huh. you know, he roars and looks around, laughs and whatever, but he doesn't do much else than that. Right. But in other scenes, um, you saw him, uh, well, I don't know if it was like his chewbacca -y wife that he was rescuing. or I think it was just another, a fellow Wookiee. Fellow Wookiee. And all that was, was fantastic. All that little communication stuff. Uh, that it, no nonverbal that he was doing that was that was great. Personally, I loved it when he tore a soldier's arms out of their sockets. Although I kind of wish, I yeah, but I wish that in a way he would have seen some part of it because he just kind of like stood up and like hey here's arms sort of thing. True, but I mean that's no. a much more of a nitpick, but. I liked how they included that just because, of course, in episode four, mm -hmm. he's like, you know, when he's playing against C-3PO and R2-D2 on the game and they're like, well, yelling about it won't do any good. And he's like, that's because it's something along the lines of droids don't rip their arms out of their sockets when they lose. Wookiees are known to do that. And he kind of does his little <laughs> kind of thing. It's great. <sighs> I did think that moving on to Woody Harrelson, um, I thought that he didn't fit in the, the star Wars universe. And I, so I have always liked and appreciated the fact that traditionally speaking in star Wars movies, you have actors that either no one has seen before or actors that are just, they're not so front and center that like, it's a name that's going to cause you to, to just focus more on the name as opposed to the overall movie. Like, for instance, like, if Tom Cruise was in a Star Wars movie, I don't think that would work because it's Tom Cruise. But I do like how a lot of these actors and actresses who pull, who have different roles in the film, they tend to be ones that, that have a good job of just kind of blending into their character and not being like a, a branded name, if you know what I mean. But in terms... And, and I'm actually a Woody Harrelson fan. I do like... Uh, his performances in other films and TV shows. 
But when it comes to this particular film, I just felt like I don't think he was the right person to to be cast for that character. What do you think? I would concur. I, I, he's not known to be a, a gruff sort of character. And when you think of, of Han Solo's persona, and then you look back at the, or from what we've seen in episode four, five, and six, and then you look back at this, and you think, well, this is his, this is Han Solo's first mentor of what maybe you know, he became the, the, the space pirate that he is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, Woody Harrelson just wasn't that uh, gruff, scoundrelly person. He just was uh, a dude. Yeah, yeah. I, I just, I felt like, again, nothing personal against the actor, but I think that... Oh, he's going to sue you. He's. <laughs> I just think that he just probably wasn't the best choice for that particular role. Donald Glover, who played um, Lando, I actually thought he did a, a nice job as a younger Lando Calrissian. And again, it's one of those those difficult challenges because Billy D. Williams did such a good job playing Lando. I mean, he, he just had this embodiment of the character Lando Calrissian. How on earth are you going to be able to top that? Well, you can't. However, I do believe that someone like Donald Glover, I mean, he really got close. I thought that like, like just once again, because this is a substantially younger version of Lando that I do think that there were several things about his performance that I thought he did a, just a really nice job. And I liked how they played off each other. I liked how, um, Donald and Alden were able to, to, to play off each other with their, their roles and it didn't feel forced. You know, it, it definitely had that kind of relationship that you come to expect from Han Solo and, and Lando where it's like they're friends, but they're kind of on edge with each other. They, they're still like maybe like an element of distrust in there somewhere. And rivals. Yeah. Friend, friendly rivals. Yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Thandie Newton. Thandy played Woody Harrelson's love interest. Oh yeah, she was only in until the beginning. Yeah, that yeah. Was about it. Mm-hmm. I thought she was she was decent. Nothing, nothing memorable, but I mean, you know, she filled a role that was, you know, it was there. Like, <laughs> yeah, she said, you know, she said a few lines. So anyway, <laughs> what did you think of Paul Bettany? Oh, that's the uh, that's Vision, right? In the Avengers, yes, but not <laughs> yeah. in this film. <laughs> yes, I, 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 I liked him on screen. Um, although I would have liked to see him do a little bit more, um, or I wanted to see a little bit of his backstory. I, he presented a rich character for the very little time he was there, mm-hmm. and then that was it. I think I would have liked to have seen him be given more screen time just to flesh out his character a bit more. Mm-hmm. They put just enough on there where it's like, okay, we know he's a, a bad guy, mm-hmm. but why? And once again, we kind of understand his motivation for doing what it is that he's doing and everything else. But I would have liked to have seen a bit more of a drill down in terms of the kind of character he is. Cause I'm a Paul Bettany fan. I mean, the, the guy really owns his roles very well. And it was interesting to see him in more of an antagonist role because typically he plays more of a protagonist. Right. So I did like his look, though. I thought he had a pretty cool look. I I liked his weapon of choice. It was very, uh, it had that kind of Star Wars feel, but it had almost kind of the more like gangster feel too. Nice. Hmm. This little thingy there, but um, 
I'll tell you one of the, the, the characters that I was disappointed with was, I believe it's the Mandalorian leader, the one that had the helmet on that were like, they, they were also kind of a tribal pirate space pirate thing. When it's revealed that it's this little girl, it really just took away kind of the facade of threat and everything yeah. else. And it was just kind of like, ah, uh, and then, yes. um, <laughs> I mean, she looked like she was like 16. I mean, uh, she was like this, like real small, just petite woman. And it's just like, ah, uh, you know, it'd be different if it was like, and I can't remember her name, but she plays, um, Captain Phasma in the force awakens. And of course they completely oh. messed up her character as well, but yeah. you know, she has much more screen presence, like someone who can hold her own and that sort of thing. Like, like I would have preferred to have seen someone like that. Are there any other actors that you would like to critique Steve? <laughs> no. Okay. Let's move on to plot. Okay. Let me say something about plot, Russ. Now that you you got Paul Bettany in my mind, what I think would have been cool, instead of killing him off like uh, Disney's been known to do, killing Pill. Oh, from the, the, the like yeah. Oh, yeah, all these villains. Yeah, you like them? Yeah, great. <laughs> cut them off. Cut his head off. Right? I like that, huh? Viewer. Okay. Anyway, <laughs> viewer. Ah, <laughs> uh, the mouse. The mouse likes to kill villains, Russ. Take that. Okay. Anyway. <laughs> Happy ending. <laughs> <laughs> We're not going to do what the fans want. We're going to do what Disney wants. Huh? Okay. <laughs> like a deranged version of Mickey Mouse. <laughs> so what would have been cool, because Paul Bettany's character uh, was very gangstery and he was much more scoundrelly. I, it, I think it would have been cool if, if, they didn't kill him off, and he takes Han Solo and his little the the, the chick he was interested in. Uh-huh. Like she she brings him on, and there's almost kind of like a Scarface thing where Woody Harrelson's character's out, Han Solo's in, mm. and they create some sort of a relationship. And Han mm-hmm. Solo sees that side of it, and he sees you know okay when job after job after job, and Han Solo's really good at it, and he makes some money. And he sees that side. That I mean, and that's where his scoundrel part comes in. Yeah, you know, I dig that. I think that's a really good. Uh, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a great idea. It would have been nice to have seen kind of more of a Scarface type of setup with that, as as you see kind of his rise into smugglerhood, so right. to speak. I mean, yeah. I th- I think that would be cool because yeah, I think when I left the theater, I I had a thought that was similar to that in the sense that Han Solo is a smuggler. It's not like every relationship he has blows up in his face or he has he's on bad terms or bad relations because then he wouldn't be a smuggler. He couldn't smuggle anything because everybody just wouldn't want to do business with him. And so I, I totally agree. I think it would have been nice to have seen some of that where like he has more of that cunning. He's a survivor. He knows how to actually get certain jobs done. Schmooze. Obviously, yeah, schmooze. Certain jobs obviously won't work out because of unforeseen events or maybe he messes up or something. And that's cool because that shows more of his human nature side. But yeah, I, I agree. I, I, can, I can appreciate what the film was attempting to do with the plot where they were trying to, you know, they, they, were, they were flirting with the whole don't trust anybody thing. Who do you trust, right? And I just, 
I, I think that is good. That's a good start. But I also, to your point, would have loved to have seen him getting deeper and deeper and deeper into some kind of underground smuggling industry of sorts, you know, where like he's able to make these fragile alliances with different types of um, shady characters. And maybe he's able to deliver certain things on time and, and, you know, perhaps have certain things like I, I liked how at the end of this particular film, how he really did have, I can't remember what it's called, but it was that, that mineral energy stuff, whatever it is, a real highly valuable stuff. space nitrous, space nitrous. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, <laughs> I liked how he actually did bring it into the, the ship itself as opposed to like what, what Paul Bettany's character was talking about where he thought it was like the fake stuff. I, those are the kind of things I would I, I really do like, but I would have liked to have seen more of a buildup with that. Like I, I I really enjoyed how the movie started. Where like you know he's on the streets, he's having to survive and make do. He's having to make payments to someone who's kind of quote unquote protecting him. It's a very like a like a mafia or gang type of setup. But I wanted to dive more down into that and see just what kind of relationships could be manifested. What do you think? Yeah, I thought that happened way too fast. Uh, in the beginning, he just kind of, they threw it at us like, okay, this is what's up. Here's where it came from. And moving on. I thought, wait, 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 Like, this is it? Like, where? how did he get here? Was he just born here? Right. Like, what in the world? What I also wanted to see was more of his uh, pilot piloting and, and driving and um, more of his kind of mechanical ability. Yeah. Throughout the whole film, you're like, oh, I'm a great pilot. I'm a great pilot. Okay, well, where'd you learn that? I wanted to see where he learned it. I want to see like some cool like space driving scenes or something, you know, think of like, like baby driver, but with Han Solo sure. or something. Yeah. And we, we got a, a, just a, a fraction of a taste of it in the beginning. And then that was it. And at some point in the movie, he says, Oh, they threw me out of the Academy because I was using my head. I'm like, well, why didn't you show us that? That would have been cool. You know, we're just, they're just throwing stuff at us. Like, mm. okay, just accept it that this happened, accept it that that happened. And he's a, I don't know. I'd like to see something instead of just somebody telling it to me and me believing it as, as truth. That's a good, that's another good point about how Han has been very much a, a, a mechanic or someone who can f just fix things or put, you know, kind of MacGyver things mm -hmm. together. That would have been really nice to have seen him do at a younger age and just showcase once again, reinforcing the notion that he can, he can find himself, in more of a, a dire situation, but due to his cunning nature, he's able to like figure out a way to get out of something that normal folks would just never think of in the first place or be able to, you know, Jerry rig something or, right. you know, whatever, whatever it is. But I did like, however, how he got separated from his girlfriend. I liked how that whole thing worked out because it set in motion a, a, an original, plot point that was, it was ingrained in kind of the, the pre-existing Star Wars canon. And I just like to see, okay, we know she's going to come back later on, but how is it going to work? Like, is she going to come back as an enemy or is he going to have to do some sort of daring rescue? Or I just, I really liked how we got to see a romantic relationship that was outside of the Han and Leia thing. And just, it lends itself to Han Solo's personality. Like, like just, he, he's a ladies man. Like, like, of course he's going to have run-ins with other women before he meets Leia. 
True, but you know they're not going to work out because he ends up with Leia. Absolutely. But I want to be taken on those journeys to find out how they failed. Yeah. Or, or maybe or maybe they didn't fail. Maybe they're just kind of going off somewhere, almost like a James Bond thing where like some of the, the women, they end up just having to go a different fork in the road and whatever else, but there may be a chance down the road where maybe their, their paths will cross again somewhere. I don't know. I dig that kind of thing. I dig it too, but I don't think there was enough on-screen chemistry for me to believe it. I was digging. You didn't I, like those smooches? I, well, you know, I'm a those big. Those are pretty hot, Steve. Uh, Russ, they, they, yeah, okay, I'll give it that. I'll give it the. I'll give it the. It passed the smooch test. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Will that give it a passing score? I don't want to know, Russ. I mean, even some of the the way they talked and they looked at each other. I don't know. I could think of other types of of on screen romances that were not as natural or filled with as much chemistry. True. Like when Leia kisses Luke. Yeah. Or, or how about the old <laughs> Anakin and Padme? Yeah, that was forced. That was that was, that was just Weird. painful to watch. That was Bad. wince worthy right yeah. there. Mm. So anyway, the plot moves forward and um, we find that he's able to, to sign up, actually do some work for the Imperial uh, Empire. And I thought that was interesting. I wasn't expecting that particular twist of the plot. And I got to say, just before we go any further, I loved that battle sequence that where he was like on some planet somewhere and, and just you couldn't tell what was going on, but it just it just looked like a pretty harsh environment to be in. And I love watching those ATSTs get dropped down and they're just moving forward and just, it felt so real. It felt like Starcraft is what it felt like. I felt like I was a little watching, bit. watching a cutscene out of Starcraft, but it was just so cool. Just, just watching everybody like just trying to survive and shooting and people getting blown up and just, I don't know, like, like to me, I, that was a treat because in my mind, I always wondered what was it like outside of the standard Star Wars movies where we have like the Death Star and everything else. Like, what was it like to be on a mission where like the Empire was trying to bring a certain planet to heal or or a certain civilization or whatever? And just I don't know, like like just they're they're known peripherally speaking to be just this totally like just dominating force. And it was, I don't know. I just, I just dig that, that kind of visual spectacle seeing that kind of thing. Cause normally you just see stormtroopers get, just get right. shot down or, you know, the, the lightsabers come out and they just, they get whacked left, left and right. And yeah, for one really like that, Steve. <laughs> <clears throat> so of course he goes, um, and meets up with Woody Harrelson's character, Beckett. And, gets on and and, and meets you actually. What, okay. Let's talk about this. What did you think of when Han met Chewie? Uh, that was, that was cool. Um, Chewie didn't act like he was three days worth of hungry, but, um, I, I thought it was kind of cool. You know, he fell down and I, I figured, okay, something's going to come out. He's going to eat him. Most likely it's going to be Chewbacca. You know, sure enough it was, um, I, th- I honestly didn't didn't expect it to be chewy. I did. I thought it was gonna be some sort of big, horrible, blobby, nasty thing. I kind of thought it was gonna be Chewbacca. They're they're gonna have to introduce Chewbacca somewhere, and they showed him in the trailer, and I thought mm, this is the perfect time for them to do it. Okay. But 
I, I thought it was that whole thing with, you know, oh, I speak some of your language. And then doing random, you know, throat noises and it's subtitling on the bottom. Oh, hey, help, what's up? You know, da, 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 da. like, come on, you really? It lends itself to the fact that he grew up on the streets. I mean, when it comes to living on an alien planet, you're going to pick up some lingo here and there. You're going to pick up a little Chewbacca. You're going to pick up a little Wookiee. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> You're going to pick him up and cuddle him. And especially in, I mean, it, it, it's a foregone conclusion that in Star Wars, because it's so cosmopolitan with all these different alien races coexisting on the same planet, that you're going to have that. And in fact, that's why like in the the older movies too, like Han Solo could, could speak to Guido and when he's like, Hola, dula, solo. he's like, I was just on my way back to pay back Jabba, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like to me, that, that just reinforces his streetwise sense or his street smart where like he he's been forced to have to like be able to communicate, especially on the black market, that sort of thing. But I did like seeing uh Han and Chewie, just the way they, they met. And um, a lot of that, I actually thought it was fun. Little, just, a, just, I think I would say just a hair bit cheesy, but at the same time, I just, I really liked how, that was kind of the the moment of bonding between the two of them, at least acting as a catalyst for their relationship was that for the first time we actually got to hear Han Solo speak Wookiee as opposed to him just always responding to Chewie with English. I thought that was, you know, it was appropriate. Okay. <clears throat> what did you think of the uh, that whole like train sequence? I thought it was very Final Fantasy VII-ish. Which is not necessarily a bad thing, but it, it reminded me of the like the first scene out of Midgard. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was yeah, I thought it was kind of cool. You had some of the uh, droids with their you know, like magnetic boots on and whatnot, and um, it wasn't very like memorable and special, but it's kind of like your little heisty heist kind of mm-hmm. dealio. Um, I thought there was no way those little like space crew, like those little space motorcycle looking things, can pull. <laughs> Like that that train crate compared to that industrial ship, I'm like, no, there, there ain't no way. I mean, it's like a motorcycle compared to a, a semi truck. You're like, you're just not gonna do it. That explosion on the mountain was so cool. Yeah, and, but the train didn't explode. That whole train like fell down. You would think that it'd be some atom bomb, and it wasn't. I believe that that the materials was just on that portion of the like the cart the part of the cart that they were trying to lift up was the the like the only space mm. that that stuff resided in i think like the train had like a bunch of different materials and minerals and stuff on it that just happened to be the one cargo hold that had what they were looking for but man that explosion was cool that was, that was seriously one of the coolest or memorable explosions i've seen in a while in cinema <laughs> so Moving forward, we see that Han is able to, to win favor with Beckett. He's pushing forward. They're having to, since they lost the, the payload, so to speak, they're trying to do one last heist in order to win favor back with Paul Bettany's character. And of course, that's when Han comes face to face with his love interest again. What did you think of, of, of that whole reacquaintance? I, I thought I should have been stronger. Yeah. Honestly, I, I thought that, you know, the whole, the reason Han is doing everything he's doing is to get back at her 
argue back with her and here she is. And I mean, if he was really in love with her and he, we were supposed to believe that he was, I mean, I, I would expect him to gasp with breath and almost fall to his knees and be like, Oh my goodness, you're here. Let's go. Let's get out of here. Drop everything. Let's go. And he just kind of went, Oh, Hey, you're here. Well, you know, I, I was just coming to see you. You know, like I'm doing this whole thing right now so I can be with you. What's up? You know, so it just didn't believe it was to me. It wasn't believable. In his defense, when he first saw her again, he was on that gangster ship itself where like Woody Harrelson's character right. was telling him, look down, don't talk to anybody. Oh, yeah. So I think if I was in his shoes, I probably would have been in a similar type of reaction mode where like I'm stunned to see her there. But I don't want to completely like. I think I would be conflicted as as to how much emotion do I show because I don't want to let on to other people there that obviously I know who this person is when I have no idea how she's here, who she's affiliated with. I don't know. Like like to me, I think his initial reaction was fine, and especially considering that like once they were off the ship and he was able to get some more private time with her on like kind of the desert planet and everything else. So you want to make out now or what? <laughs> you like the bed? Just space bed. <laughs> Zero gravity, baby. <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, when it comes to that, you can tell that he was starting to just wanting to, to push more further into just where she's at. Like, just like, Hey, like, I can't believe it. Like we're here, you know, tell me like what's been going on and everything else. And of course she tries to play it off and he's like, no, no, no. You know what I'm saying? Like, I want to know how you've been. Tell me about what's going on. What's happened. How did you get off? You know, he, he was very interested in that sort of thing. When it comes to, I can't remember what it is, but it's like that weird, they had to go through like a, a wormhole thing, not a wormhole, but what they call it. It was that, that they had to get through it in order to get to the place that had like the unrefined. But that was the Kessel run. Cause it, it was like this track that you had to like go through it pretty slowly because if you deviated off and there was a bunch of, uh, you know, s storm and parts of planets and it was completely unstable. And you but was it literally like that, that like weird frothy twirly fog yeah. kind of stuff was, yeah. did they call it the Kessel run? Yeah. Or was it called? Cause I thought that like the Kessel run was actually part of, because that, that, that's when he had the Millennium Falcon go in, like go sideways into the wall of that swirling stuff. And suddenly he was in this completely different area as opposed to like this. No, I, because they were saying no ship has ever gone in there and survived. But they've done the castle run and 20 parsecs. Okay. So he, he, he went through the castle run shortcut style and lived, but and did it in 12. So that's, that's, that was his whole thing of, okay, you know, this, everyone was saying that you can only do it in 20. I did it in 12. Ha <laughs> Look at me. Um, but yeah. What did you think of L3? Uh, she was fine. I thought it was kind of a weird relationship. I mean, it, it's, it's funny to have a robot speak and act and, and have, you know, pizzazz like a human, but it just gets kind of weird when the droid starts talking about, uh, love interests and a human and then having the human 
go, oh my gosh, you're, you're dying. Oh. And then show us some, I mean, it's one thing when it's like John Connor and the Terminator sort of thing, when this is your protector uh, and you don't want your protector to, to die, but to have romantic feeling, I don't know. It was just that it was okay, but it was slightly weird. I thought. I like the design of L3. I thought L3 had a definitely a, a unique design, and it, it, I think it fit within the Star Wars universe. I couldn't really figure out what was the, I mean, were those two lights, like the front of the plate, yeah. or was that circle like her eye? I'm like, okay, she look, what, what is she looking at? Like, what, what? And I think the romantic part of it was more of a joke. Like like the, the droid thought that Lando was into her, and we say her, it's more like it. I don't know. I, I, but I think Lando had more of an attachment to L3 from a just, I'm assuming that like perhaps he had a hand in building her. And I say, again, I say her loosely because it's just, she had a female voice. It's more like it. But um, I think like the way that he responded to L3 dying, I think, I liken it more to like, almost like if your dog died, if that makes any sense, where like, you know, you're holding your dog, you're sad that it's gone. You, you know, you shed some tears, everything else. Like, I think it's more along those lines. I I don't think he had some sort of romantic well, love what, interest in it. That's what they alluded to though, because. Well, uh, they joked about it. Like that was part of like one of the, the gags of the movie when um, you had, I can't remember her name, but she, but the but Han Solo's love interest right. talking to her. I think it was just kind of one of those like funny, like awkward gag moments. How do you make it work? Oh, we make it work. Uh, oh, huh. 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 okay. <laughs> Pansexual. Yeah, yeah. Um. Now, when it comes to the the final scene, actually, with uh, Darth Maul. Mm-hmm. I was not expecting to see him at all. This is true. Very surprised. But in, uh, I dig it. I think they went a little overboard. I think if he just took off his hood and you saw like a, glim- like a glimpse of him or a peek, everybody would have gone, oh, Darth Maul sort of thing. But him taking out his, his uh, bow... His lightsaber bow, and then going, <laughs> we are going to be together now. I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa what? What, what? This is like a video conference. What are you doing? I agree. I think that the, the lightsaber portion was unnecessary, but everything else aside from that, I, I was, di- and that was Ray Parker again. He reprised his role as Darth Maul. Pretty stoked about that. Now, did he have, I was looking at his feet. Did he have robotic feet? Right? Yes. Mm. Yes, he did. And that was in line with the Star Wars canon. Mm. If you were to follow the, like the Star Wars, Clone Wars, and you also follow um, some of the, the comic book fanfare, as it were. But yes, he, during the, the Star Wars canon, was able to obtain more of these like cyborg legs. And that's why you saw in the, the, the hologram there that it was true to form. I was say, when uh, Qui-Gon sliced him in half, that was a pretty far fall to, to fall just for uh, your torso and up, you know, to reach out and grab something. That was, 
luck was on his side, apparently. Well, and they, and they explain that in like the Star Wars ex- expanded universe and the canon and stuff. So it is everything is explained if you wish to read about it. Yeah, it's there. yeah. yeah. That's one of the nice things about lightsabers is that you will never bleed out from a flesh wound from a lightsaber. Right. Or it just automatically cauterized. Exactly. Instant cauterization. Uh, but then it's going to be kind of awkward because then you have no legs. Yes. You have to crawl around everywhere for a little while. Yeah. For a spell. Do the spider walk, but only with two with uh, your arms. <laughs> Did you have any other comments about the plot, Steve? No. Um, this has nothing to do with the plot, but I, I, I'm just going to say it right here is, um, I, I mentioned this a few episodes back when we were talking about our expectations for this movie. And what I said back then was I want to see some spacecraft. I want to see some vehicles because we've had a few Star Wars movies come out and all they show is like, you know, a couple drop ships and, oh, here's another, here's more TIE fighters and here's a Star Destroyer, but like nothing new, um, and I figured, you know, the Han Solo movie, okay, we'll, we'll get to see the Millennium Falcon, of course, but show me some other aircraft. And I didn't get anything. We, we had that industrial-looking ship that had the, the pulleys and the cranks and, the you know, the cables to lift up to do one function. Mm-hmm. But that was about it. I was like, man, you serious? Well, I want to see some more aircraft. Like, for example, in uh, in episode one, for, for example, they had that that elite cruiser that um, the Jedis were, were flying around at Ewan McGregor and, and mm-hmm. okay. So you had that, then you had like the pod racing. So you had that whole sequence with, with what's going on. You had these different um, looking rebel ships you had. Uh, and then I think an episode, you know, was that still in it? Yeah. You had all the stuff that's going on in, with Jar Jar. And then you had, what was the, what was the, the main little kingdom down there? Padme's little spot. Naboo. Naboo. Yeah. So you had these tanks with Naboo and you had this, all this brand new arsenal of stuff. I would figure we would at least see something new within the movie. And that kind of left me with, eh, you know, it's a Star Wars, it's a sci-fi. You know, show me something. I did like that Roadster space vehicle at the beginning, like when he was trying to get away from whoever it was. But yeah, I, I agree. I think it would have been fun to have seen Han fly or pilot multiple spacecraft just to get once again reinforce that notion that that's just what he's into. Right. That's what he's proficient at. I mean, he throughout the the movie he's saying I'm a good pilot, I'm a good driver. I'm like, okay, well, pilot and drive a bunch of stuff then, and then he just kind of didn't. Well, and some of that too was just him trying to get buy-in. I mean, he yeah. he may not have been as much of an ace pilot as he was leading people or, or attempting to convince people he might have been. Mm-hmm. So switching over to music, I've said this before, but John Powell, I thought, did a really nice job with the music. I plan on purchasing the soundtrack itself because it does pay homage to John Williams. And I think it, w- it, it was really, really nice to see that as opposed to what they did in, in The Last Jedi. Did you like the music? The music was fine. I, th- I thought it was too much taking bits and pieces out from other Star Wars movies. So it's like the music wasn't necessarily, it wasn't bad. It just it wasn't, it didn't feel fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't, I, in a way I, I thought, I don't need it to sound like a Star Wars musical score, original score. Um, I kind of wanted to sound different. For example, if, with the trailer, that doesn't sound, the music in the trailer doesn't sound anything like Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of the tone I wanted it to set going into the movie. I wanted music like that. Scoundrelly. 
music. Huh? Nah, I don't know about that, but uh, <laughs> definitely not symphonic, you know, Star Wars music. I thought I wanted something different, but I, I mean, I'll definitely give it a listen when you when you pick it up. But it was nice. It just wasn't really what I wanted for the movie. I would say moving on to um, cinematography and just the visual effects. I would say that was probably the biggest star of the show, honestly. I really liked what Bradford Young, who was the director of photography for this film, it had or bared certain likenesses to um, Blade Runner 2049. Not completely 100% in that vein, but like I just, I liked how they had more of that desaturated look. And a lot of the lighting that they had and everything else um, just lend itself to more of a an original standalone Star Wars film as opposed to like having it look like Force Awakens or whatever. Um, and the, like I said, the visual effects too just just it was everything just looked gorgeous to me. It just it had its own kind of motif going. And I, I just, I liked how they just, they kind of forged their own path with that. And I, w- I actually hope that, that we get to see more Star Wars movies that have kind of more of this type of palette in there. I mean, I, I appreciate the, the the standard palette for Star Wars as well, but this one, and also like Rogue One, for example, Rogue One also kind of had its own kind of, um, I don't know what you call it, own visual, I guess you could say. Mm-hmm. What did you think? Yeah, I, uh, I, the only other thing I, I would want more, um, and this is not, it doesn't have everything to do with cinematography, but I felt in episodes four, five, and six, they played more of an emphasis on how cool the Millennium Falcon is, how it was unlike any other ship. Mm-hmm. And with this one, and, and this was another thing that I was hoping for, and a few episodes back, we were talking about it. Where I wanted to, be, I wanted to feel like I was thrown back in my seat while watching the Millennium Falcon because essentially this is supposed to be the first time we've seen the Millennium Falcon. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is a prequel. Yeah, and I wish they would have taken more liberties to show cool stuff about the Millennium Falcon. I don't. I mean, I'm not a cinematographer, but that's not what I do. I know they could have done a. I don't know. I just wanted something more. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, I wonder, I mean, ILM still did the, the special effects. I wonder why they couldn't incorporate part of the sound effect they used for the rockets in the Millennium Falcon in like episode four and transport it into this movie and maybe make it a little more clear, perhaps. Because if you watch episode four, every time the Millennium, I mean, you just, going past, you know, sounds incredible. Mm-hmm. And since then, after those episodes, whenever the Falcon's on screen, it's not as bass filled. It's not as, it doesn't sound as powerful. Um, I mean, when it's Han Solo, it goes, punch it, and they throw it. I mean, the engines roar and the rockets flare and they're out of there, right? Mm-hmm. Um, this time, it just didn't, there, you didn't feel it. You didn't feel thrown back in your seat. All right? I didn't get goosebumps because of the, of the power and the umph of that, of the, uh, the fastest ship in the galaxy. Mm-hmm. I just didn't feel it. I, I wanted to feel it and I wanted to see it. So the cinematography, I mean, you notice more stuff than, than I do, but as uh, you know, someone who's just loves watching movies, you know, <laughs> there's, there's happy just, to be here. <laughs> you can yell that popcorn. Um, I, as a viewer, I, there was some stuff that I wanted to, to see and expected to see. And I didn't. 
Fair enough. I'm going to go pivot to the IMDb trivia portion before we give our final conclusions on this film. Time to IMDb it up. Solo, a Star Wars story trivia courtesy of IMDb. You said that already. <clears throat> Not in that particular order, though. Gotta make sure I give credit where credit is due, Steve. Mm -hmm. Although originally brought on board to complete the film after Phil Lord and Christopher Miller had been dismissed due to creative differences. It was widely reported in October of 2017 that Ron Howard had reshot more than 80% of the movie. And I think that may provide an answer as to some of the stuff that you were looking for, but ultimately just didn't see in, in the film. I think that it's no secret that there were some pretty turbulent times during the making of this film. Creative differences to me sounds like PC for it's my way or the highway. <laughs> during an interview on IMDb me in 2018, director Ron Howard explained that he always tries to give his wife, Cheryl Howard, a cameo in his film since she is his good luck charm. Oh, Cheryl had indeed shot a scene for Solo, A Star Wars Story, but the scene ended up being deleted from the final cut. One day, Howard shared his regret over being unable to include his wife in the film with special effects technicians at ILM. They subsequently shot Cheryl against a green screen and digitally inserted her into another scene in the movie to give Howard his good luck charm. Mm. How about them apples? Yeah. How about them oranges? Junis Suotamo wrote a heartfelt letter to Peter Mayhew saying that he was doing his role not just for Star Wars fans, but for Mayhew himself. thought that was very classy of him to do that. Hmm. Woody Harrelson was picked over Christian Bale as Han Solo's mentor, Beckett. Hmm. hmm. Interesting. I'm not sure if I would like seeing Christian Bale in that either. I, although I am curious... Are you now? I am very curious. Ron Howard was reportedly considered to direct Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, back in 1999, but declined the offer, calling the task too daunting. Oh, jeez. 18 years later, he accepted the offer to direct this film. This film marked the first time an Academy Award-winning director ever made a Star Wars film. Also the third Academy Award-nominated director after George Lucas and Lawrence Kasdan. The film's release date is May 25th, 2018, which is the same month and date that Star Wars Episode Four: A New Hope, back in 1977, was released. Pretty cool. This is the first live-action Star Wars film not to feature the two most famous droids, R2-D2 and C-3PO. Which uh, yeah. right. I kind of called that uh, called it early on. I was thinking to myself, I don't think they're going to be in this film. That would be it'd be kind of weird to see them in the film. This was Lawrence Kasdan's fourth and final time working on the Star Wars film franchise. He was also a screenwriter for Star Wars Episode Five: The Empire Strikes Back, Star Wars Episode Six: Return of the Jedi, and Star Wars: The Force Awakens. So he has been a uh, just a, a driving force, no pun intended, in the world of Star Wars. <clears throat> now, check this. This one's pretty fun. L3, which the full name is L337, 
The name comes from the writing system known as Leet, a popular form of writing on the internet. It is when the writer uses numbers and symbols to replace similar looking letters, i.e. turning like L-E-E-T into 1337. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. Kind of fun. Darth Maul's appearance in the finale was heavily kept under wraps until the film's release. Ray Park reprise the physical role of Maul from Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, although this time through motion capture and not makeup as before. As the voice was supplied also not by Ray Park, by, uh, but by Sam Witwer, who voiced Maul on Star Wars The Clone Wars in 2008 and Star Wars Rebels in 2014. Again, I'm pretty pleased as punch over that one. Glad to see that they're bringing him back. I don't even know how old he is. He's got to be in his 40s. Nah. Darth Maul has, and here's your answer, Steve. Darth Maul has robotic legs due to the events of the Phantom Menace in Star Wars The Clone Wars in 2008. <clears throat> uh, let's see. This is a bit of a spoiler for, you know, I'm conflicted about whether or not to say this, just because this has to do with Avengers Infinity War, which is currently in theaters still. And, I, you know, this particular podcast is focusing on Solo. So um, I think I'm going to actually refrain mm. from giving this last <laughs> one just because I want to be sensitive to those who have not seen Avengers Infinity War. Such a sensitive guy. I don't want to rock that boat. Anyway, would you please provide me your conclusions on Solo? Well, Russ, uh, I, I, I'm i going to have to pass on it. I You can't it, pass it, on giving me your conclusion, I, I, well, I Well, I'm, I just, I'm concluding with saying I would have to pass on this movie. And I would recommend um, if people did not really care for the last couple Star Wars movies... I would hold off on spending money in the theater for this one. Oh. I don't think basically because you're 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 going in there and you're, and you're going to walk out not feeling the magic that you want to feel. Almost everything in the movie was satisfactory or less than satisfactory. What it but it, nothing was really really good or stood out. A lot of it was just forgettable for me. Um, so yeah, I mean I. I mean, the best I would say is when it comes out on Netflix, you know, maybe stream it, yeah, if you want to. But <laughs> a lot of it was just kind of passable. It was kind of a meh for me. I'd give it a two. That's <laughs> I'm like, and your stars. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Two stars for you. Huh? Yeah. I was thinking, coming in here, I, I was thinking maybe two and a half. But I thought, you know, I... I don't know who I'd really recommend to go see this movie because if, if you're a Star Wars buff, typically a lot of the Star Wars buffs out there know the lore and they, they, they really are expecting some major leaps uh, and strides compared to the last couple of films that have been out and that's not going to happen. At the same time, anybody who's new to the franchise, I think they're going to be relatively bored with it because they're going to have to be a fan of sci-fi 
to even really appreciate the film mm-hmm. uh, or know something about the previous films to appreciate this film. And, and so even if you're a newcomer to Star Wars, I don't see how you're really going to enjoy this either. So I really wouldn't really know who to recommend it to. Fair enough. I thought it was a fun film. I thought that it was a, a big risk for Alden to be able to take on the mantle of Han Solo because he knows good and well just how much of a celebrated character Han Solo is, and those are big boots to fill, big space boots. So I think that even though he was not um, as good as, as Harrison Ford, I still, at the end of the day, I just I, I had fun watching him portray the role of Han Solo. I also really liked Amelia Clark. I thought that she made a, a really nice addition to the the overall cast. I liked the chemistry between her and Alden. Um, I thought Junas uh, Suotamo. Oh, I keep like saying this name is Junas Suotamo. I may be saying that wrong, but anyway, I thought that he was a wonderful replacement for Peter Mayhew, just because Peter's just. I mean, he's he's pretty old now. It's it's getting I think difficult for him to be able to. Um, act as, as Chewbacca, especially on the, on the more physically demanding parts. But I thought, I thought he did a great job. Um, I think Donald Glover also, once again, it's that whole notion of like, wow, like, like Billy D. Williams did j- this fantastic job playing Lando Calrissian. But having said that, I think that he really just stepped up and was able to provide a convincing Lando at the end of all things. I also really liked the cinematography, like I mentioned earlier, I think that the the special effects were not overly done. They were done in a very realistic fashion in a way that I was wanting to see. I think that the plot, I think you brought up some really good points about just what was missing from the overarching plot in terms of Han Solo and his journey through becoming like this scoundrel smuggler type and how it would have been nice to have seen more of his prowess as like a mechanic being able to like fix things or like the Kessel run, for example, I would have also liked to have seen a bit more to it in terms of how they were able to survive and ultimately just make that last punch at the end, which would, you know, play nicely into the, uh, the fabled, um, 12 parsecs. So I think there, there are certain things as well as even like your point about um, using Scarface as an example where like we can actually see more of these budding relationships being formed with different shady characters that run the black market or who are within kind of the smuggling industry of sorts. I will also note that Disney has kind of mentioned like not officially so, but, but it's known that they have, I believe three, like two or three more, Mm-hmm. solo movies on deck. And I think it's going to depend on like how this movie does commercially. But if they do decide to move forward with making sequels of this, perhaps then they will actually dive into more of that. Cause I would really like to see more of it. And I don't want to see it just constantly be more of the same where it's, Oh, you have a, a space gangster like job of the HUD and there's a price bounty on, on Han's head. I want to actually see him be able to pull off certain heists I want to see a heist movie that actually works in his favor. I think that that would actually be pretty fresh. Having said that though, there are certain parts in the plot that I thought were predictable. And I think as a result, just looking at it, I think I'll give it three stars. 
I think it, like I said, it, it was, it was a fun movie to see. I think that all things considered, even though the movie during production had a bit of a turbulent time and Ron Howard swooped in, was able to do what he could with it and everything else. I think there are quite a few things that I do enjoy about it. I do appreciate how the visual, the overall visual aesthetic is very in line with the star Wars universe. It's not so far left field that you're like, wait, what is this? Where are we? What's going on? Um, but like to your point too, I don't think that there were any kind of huge moments where it was just, wow, I will never forget that. I just don't think I really had anything really like that. And I think, I, I think it's kind of also kind of a result of the fact that you're having different people with different visions come in and utilize a license that is so kind of entrenched in its signature visual presentation, whether it's aesthetics or it's the plot, the acting, whatever it is. I mean, it, it like the fans have come to expect a certain type of persona with it. And so I think having different types of directors come in and give their impressions of it. I think for me, like I'll see certain moments of brilliance. It's like, Oh wow, that was actually a really cool idea that they injected into the world of star Wars. But I think in terms of maintaining the level of a space opera, I think that's where it continues to kind of fall short. That is, I believe my conclusion. Did you have anything else that you would like to say, Steve? No. Well, maybe one thing. I I would like more. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would like more of a visionary to take over Star Wars and less Disney committee. Because mm-hmm. it feels like a Disney corporate put it out there and, and let's make money on a movie, Star Wars. It doesn't feel authentic. It didn't feel authentic to me. It didn't feel, like I said, like there's no visionary magic, no legendary Star Wars series in this. It just felt like, how are we going to get more money from the Star Wars fans? Okay, put out another, put out a Han Solo film. It just felt very corporate. Hmm. You know, I don't know. Sorry to be a, a Debbie Downer. I just want the truth. You got it. Well, I believe that wraps up this particular episode of Joygasm. Make sure you tune in next week as we watch the E3 press conferences live and we'll make them available to all of you on the same day. Thanks for hanging out with us. If you enjoyed this episode, we invite you to check out patreon.com slash joygasm. And if you find it so affordable, please pledge $1 a month for exclusive access to the show. If you find it in your heart. (laughs) (laughs) Also, you can follow us on social media and YouTube. Just do a search for Joygasm TV. In addition to iTunes and Android, you can listen to our podcast on TuneIn Radio, Stitcher, Spotify, and SoundCloud.com slash Joygasm TV. I do have to make a a note about Spotify. They have about the first 66 episodes of Joygasm, but they have run into a snag and their, their technicians are currently working on it. But there are several episodes, basically episode 67 through 74 that for some reason are not populating on there. So if you don't see it, we have plenty of other avenues. Like I just mentioned that you can get all of your Joygasm goodness. Last but not least, search Joygasm TV on Twitch to see us stream our gaming adventures live every Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Central Time. Until then, we'll see you next week. Bye.